Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm Clarissa Christensen and in this podcast we know that menopause and midlife aren't all fun and games. But this is the podcast where I and my guests guide you and support you. Lots of our issues arise at this time of life because they're subjects that we want to brush under the carpet. Bringing these conversations into the light, we can help you prepare for midlife and menopause changes, get supported with symptoms as they arise, with life issues in our relationships, with our kids, our finances, our careers. Prepare to join us every single week and we are looking forward to thriving through menopause and getting you set up and ready to make the most of the next chapter of your life. Well, welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. And today we're going to talk about an issue that is very common in many of our lives, that is growing, and that is alcohol and how much we drink and why we drink. And I'd start with a short story about myself. I was the woman who came home at the end of every day from a job that was very tough. I would take off my coat and I would pour myself a large glass of wine. And then I'd have a second one and maybe I'd have a third. I would never have said I was an alcoholic. And as I was telling her guest, who I'm going to introduce in a minute, I'm married to an alcoholic and I know what alcoholism looks like. But I was like lots of women drinking too much until I addressed it. And I think this is a conversation that we know is hard to have, but I'm so delighted today to have Agatha Connor come on the show. She's a sobriety coach and she has a story to tell. And we have some messages that we hope people can reflect on, even if they may feel a little uncomfortable. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Clarissa. Thank you again for inviting me and being open to talking about this topic because it is a difficult one. But uh, like you said, we need to address difficult issues because otherwise nothing will ever change. And I'm always really delighted to see people opening up about their struggles with substances, with alcohol. And I'm really celebrating every single time a celebrity, for example, opens up and comes out of the closet and talks openly Uh, about their struggle because it makes recovery a little bit more normalized and it removes the shame a little bit for so many people because I think the shame is what keeps people stuck in their pattern for such a long time sometimes much too long it was definitely the case with me and you know just a few words about myself I drank I started drinking very early unfortunately but that was Uh, caused by the trauma I experienced as a child. I believe that the fact that I come from a background where my parents absolutely hated each other and there was a lot of verbal abuse between them since I was very little, that caused me to feel uncomfortable in my own skin that really created this constant feeling of not being safe in the world. And because my self-esteem was always very low, I was this invisible child in my home because they were so tangled up in their own trauma and their own drama. I felt invisible, but because of this low self-esteem, I really wanted to be validated by other people. This is why I reached out for alcohol very, very young. I wanted to be among people, but at the same time, socially, I was extremely awkward. So alcohol was this 
perfect solution for me in social situations. I wanted to be around other teenagers. Unfortunately, because of the type of music I listened to and other other things, I just kind of mixed up with the people who drank quite a lot. And we went to gigs together. And it was like, that was this magical solution for me. Alcohol removed the fear of being around other people, the fear of being judged. It made me funny. It made me open my mouth. It just made me engage with people. That was it. So I started drinking when I was 13. It was very young. And unfortunately, we must be aware that teenagers, especially teenage girls, they get addicted to alcohol pretty much on the spot. If somebody, children without the maturity, without the life skills, they will get addicted very, very quickly, much faster than a grown-up. So it's just, you know, good to know for all the moms. We need to be aware of that. If you've got teenage kids and you notice that they tend to, you know, turn to booze a little bit or they socialize. My mom always said that I just have a, a really rich social life that's how she saw this but she did not know that a few times a month I would just get drunk and I drank for 20 years and it's quite interesting to like look at my story from where I am now because I have no idea how I managed to get some sort of education get become a teacher (laughs) you know get my own life it all looked really normal on the surface and this is kind of something we need to be aware as well It can look really normal on the surface. There are so many people who are really well functioning Mm -hmm. and yet those doors, they just drink too much. So I drank for 20 years and that was from drinking a few times a year up to, you know, later I started drinking a few times a month, obviously. And then it became a weekend thing. I was never a daily drinker. This is something that is really important as well. Mm -hmm. Somebody who has a drinking problem is not necessarily somebody who wakes up in the morning and opens a bottle of vodka. We need to be aware of this. For Mm -hmm. me, it was always weekend binge drinking. And that was it. Friday evening, I was just from Wednesday on, I would start waiting for the weekend. And I see with my clients also, it's Wednesday, Thursday is the day when they already start obsessing about drinking over the weekend. It's like very difficult to imagine the weekend without alcohol. That was the case with me. Mm -hmm. Being in a social situation for me without alcohol, by the end of my drinking, completely unimaginable situation. So 20 years of drinking, I stopped when I was 33 because that was when my daughter, she was already seven years old. I was a single mom. And for me, it was just after one really low and really sad hen night, I woke up the next day and I thought it was early morning, but then it turned out that it was evening actually. And my daughter was on the sofa all day. My mom was babysitting for me the mm-hmm. night before. Mm-hmm. And when I came back from that hen night, she, I looked normal. You know, by the end of my drinking, it, it was not visible on me that I was so massively drunk. Physically, it looked like, you know, she she could tell that I had a few drinks, but she had no idea that well, I was actually in a blackout because I didn't I don't remember coming back home. And that's so I woke up. Yes, sorry. Into blackout. Yes, definitely. This is the dangerous thing because you don't really know what happened, and it happened to me so many times that you know I would wake up even during my studies when I was a student and everybody did that, I woke up in strangers' flats and we would just turn it into a joke, but potentially that could be a very dangerous situation. Yes. These, so, these women get themselves into 
lots of situations that they can't control through alcohol. And we're not blaming women or judging women of this, but alcohol, because we can black out, can be so harmful. We can it can be much more than the alcohol. Yes, definitely. And you know, alcohol has all the features of roofie. That's a legal roofie, that is. We are in a pub, we get drunk, and we just tend to do things we would never normally do, ever. Yes, yes. And then we have all this shame, all this guilt. And I know that by the end of my drinking, I just felt like I was the worst person in the world. Mm. I was a failing mother, a failing citizen, failing daughter, failing everything. Yeah. And a lot of women feel like that. And I think you've touched there in your story on so many points. There's wanting to be seen as social and bright and outgoing. And, and I'm sure that so many of the listeners and myself, who was a very shy person, can absolutely relate to that because we're the girls that then everybody likes, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yes, this is what happens. Or even you know, going on a date without alcohol. Imagine that for somebody who always drank. I remember when I put the drink down early in my recovery, even imagining myself entering a new relationship. That was just such a scary idea because how do you even talk to a man when you're not drunk, at least a little bit? (laughs) Yes. Not to mention going to bed with someone for the first time. And That's terrifying. Of, and a lot of people's sexual relationships that you brought up here are often have alcohol mixed in to make it easier. And so that becomes part of that. That Oh, yes. Well. Yes, of course. And then when, uh, for example, a woman stops drinking, then it turns out that it's very difficult to create this intimacy in a relationship, even though the relationship is already a few years old. But it's like uncovering a different, completely different uh, dimension of that, you know. And then you have to find yourself in this situation again. It, mm-hmm. And many relationships actually fall apart when somebody stops drinking. Yes. Because it turns out that without alcohol, you get to know somebody almost for the first time for real. And that can become really scary because you don't only deal with your own identity crisis, but your whole life turns upside down. And you need to change so many things. Absolutely. How did you, at the way you felt at that time when you felt like a bad mother, a bad citizen, and you were feeling, what did you actually do to turn that around? What were the steps that you went through? Um, mm-hmm. So I am really fortunate because my absolute best friend, she's a therapist, and she said to me, after that hen night, because she was there, she came next day to pick something up in the evening when I was already awake. And she said to me, girl, it really does not look very well. You need to go and get some help because it's just, you know, your Emily is going to be taken away from you if you carry on like this. So when she said that, that was something I knew in my mind already. That was nothing new for me. But I think I needed to hear this from somebody else to be able to really see that it's not just my imagination, that I'm not exaggerating in, in what is happening in my life. It really is happening. I'm going downhill and I need to do something about it. And this fear of not being able to be a parent for my daughter, because as I said, I was a single mom. It was just me and her and my parents a little bit. But I felt like if I don't do something about it, she will have nobody and she will be taken away from me. So that moment when my friend said to me, you need to go and get some help. The next day I I rang a recovery center simply and I went into a rehab. 
I was an outpatient. It was back in Poland because I'm Polish originally. It was back in Poland. And I'm really grateful for how system functions there because I was an outpatient for two years in the program. So that was amazing because two years is long enough for you to find yourself again and create new, completely new routine in your life and just, you know, see through the brain fog. Two years is long enough to become this new person. So I was in this program for two years. I was in AA for a while. I decided not to be an AA member after a while for certain reasons. But yes, so I went into rehab because there was, the truth is also, I would probably need somebody who did something that I do right now. But there was nothing like that. There was only the rehab and being an outpatient. Yeah. And and I think that, there's very true there is sometimes we don't feel there are a lot of solutions if we reach those points um that there's aa and i know a lot of people my husband you know had a fantastic aa experience other people i know and someone else i had as a guest on this show she was like no i can't i didn't do aa i'm not an aa person but as you're right then there's there's sometimes a clinic and then there's sometimes a few websites but there aren't as many people to support particularly women, I think, in this space. Yes. And just to mention one thing as well, when it comes to the rehab, also we must be aware that most people who are really good at working in this field are people who have experienced this problem themselves. Because for somebody who has never been addicted or dependent on alcohol, it is so difficult to understand this whole madness behind the pattern, how you don't want to drink, but you do want to drink at the same time and how it all works in your mind. I don't think for somebody who hasn't been through this, it would be possible to learn this from a book (laughs) or, you know, by listening to somebody else. So I was in the rehab and the woman who works with me, my therapist, it was somebody who I could really relate to. Mm -hmm. So finding somebody you can relate to, finding somebody who can show you an example also that life can be bloody amazing when you put the string down, because this is it. We need to inspire other people to find their own way, but they need to have hope. For me, in the early stages, it just felt like my life was officially over. It just felt like my best friend, alcohol, had died and now I was on my own. But because this amazing woman, the therapist was there and she had this beautiful life, I was able to see this little ray of hope for myself and this light in the channel that actually maybe, maybe I'm not a bad person. Maybe it was just alcohol that was doing this to me for all those years. You know, maybe I would be able to build myself again and create something new from scratch and find myself. Also women who come to speak to me First thing they say, and I hear it from pretty much everyone, is I don't even know who I am without alcohol. This is something that is really scary. It's a very scary place to be when you have all this identity crisis, Mm -hmm. when you drank for a number of years, and it turns out that when you remove alcohol, there's not much left there. You know, you might be a mom, you might be an employee, but for example, for me, I discovered that I didn't really like my job even. And that was something I felt quite invested in. But yeah. when alcohol was gone and there was no buffering anymore, it turned out that I was pretty miserable in that career and I had to change it. Yeah. So it's not just alcohol that has to go. There will be a big change, but you know, it is scary. But back then, if somebody had told me that my life would become so beautiful, I would really happily embrace every single single struggle on the way. Yes. 
So, I mean, alcohol is, as we said, for you related to trauma. I mean, what are some of the other reasons that women are using alcohol to, in a sense, self-medicate? Because that's, I would think, is a word we would both use of this type of constant drinking. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing with alcohol is that it creates the problem and it solves the problem in a way. So how it works is that after a number of years when you drink regularly and you start seeing that actually it, it's taking over, it creates so much shame and so much discomfort and you want to limit your drinking. Everybody goes through a phase of trying to moderate and it turns out that it's not working. And then what happens is you feel so uncomfortable about it that it just, it just feels very difficult to cope with those feelings. And because alcohol, alcohol is used mainly to escape uncomfortable feelings. Yeah. So when you feel all this discomfort of being aware that now you're not able to, to moderate your drinking, this is it, then you will drink on that. That happened to me. I'm saying you, but I'm talking about my clients and myself. <laughs> yeah, and, and, lots of, and lots of people, lots of people that, you know, my clients too, and, and friends of mine who also do that. And when you look behind it, you know that there's a lot of other things in their lives that are, that are leading to them to drink. Yeah, I think the problem starts really when alcohol starts to serve a function, when it's not just about, it's not that you drink because it's somebody's birthday. You drink because you feel uncomfortable in a social situation. It's not because it's Friday evening, but you drink because you just don't know what else to do with yourself. This is when the problem is, this is when we can notice that it's not normal drinking anymore. When it solves a problem of some sort, when you can't imagine coping with stress without it, when you can't imagine going on holidays without it, when you can't imagine going through Christmas without the drink, mm -hmm. this is when the problem is quite visible already. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's very common. And I think that the image as well for women is very much that, you know, this, this drinking, it's all social, it's girls' night, it's Prosecco, but that's <laughs> yeah, this whole... <laughs> Absolutely. There's the whole wine mum culture. And I think, you know, there are those pages, I think, mommy, need, mommy needs vodka or something that have millions of followers. And this recurring joke of a mother who drinks because she's so fed up with her life. And it's meant to be so funny. You know, this is quite tragic, really, because it's not. I deal with the flip side of that on a daily basis. And I know the dark side of being the wine mom. This yeah. is the mom who really struggles. This is a mom who is just constantly ridden by depression and anxiety. We need to be aware that alcohol is a huge depressant. Oh, combined yeah. with the fact that, you know, it's according to some studies, it is the third addictive substance on this planet. I think only the heroin and something else are more addictive probably, than alcohol. Probably cocaine or crack cocaine. Probably so, yes. So it is a very strong substance. It solves the problem. So it looks on the surface, but then it becomes a problem. And then we create all this culture around it to cover up for the fact that we are really struggling. Yes. And then women who drink too much, no wonder they are surrounded by other women who drink too much. All my friends were drinking by the end of my drinking. All my friends were my drinking buddies. And when it comes to the moment when you are reflecting on your drinking and when you think that actually it's a good moment to stop, then it's very difficult to 
see yourself having any sort of social life because all your friends are drinking and you feel like when you put this drink down, you will be on your own. This is how it felt to me definitely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I think you you hit on a point there about covering up. I mean, actually, I can. you made me remember something of when I was a, a girl and I was maybe 10, 12, and I had a classmate and they came from Canada and they was living in the UK and the mother was always on her own. And then there was always, my God, she drinks. But of course, she was here in a foreign country on her own. And suddenly drinking became you know, her way to cope. And I think I can remember that and being quite shocked because my mother didn't drink um, at all because actually she started to drink and then poured it all down the drain and didn't because of the difficulty with the divorce and everything. She could have gone that route. But I see these women, and you're right, they're covering up a lot of pain that it that is there and i and that really reminded me of this girl's mother i mean she's long gone now but just that this was her way to cope with the loneliness of being you know stuck in a big house in a foreign country not knowing anybody and a way to connect with other women who also sat at home and drank mm-hmm. yes it's a very sad story mm-hmm. and i think you know before somebody gets to that place where they drink as a grown-up already and they do it for a reason, for example, to deal with their frustration. I think that there certain things need to happen way before that, actually. And I must say that many of clients who come to speak to me, they have some experience of trauma in their earlier life. So it's either being coming from a home where there is a, an alcoholic, being from a home that is unstable, being abused in some way or assaulted in some way and there is a huge link between trauma and um, addiction like we said but I think when we get to a point where for example like this lady when she was abroad and she started drinking because it was it just helped her helped you know obviously not really but kind of helped her to create some sort of social life and be around other people i'm sure there were things happening before that yes there probably were but those Mm -hmm. signs obviously this is just what you saw as a child yes child it's difficult to see that you just see it yeah sort Mm -hmm. of sort of touched by that because how it impacted on her daughter and what people walked around and said and spoke Yes, and that trauma. But you mentioned another thing is this loss of a social life. Um, yes. That, whoa. You know, and having, you know, as people know, I've lived a long time in Australia, I lived a long time in Australia, and boy, is alcohol front and center of everything there. You know, in Europe, you go to somebody's house and they say, would you like a coffee at 11 o'clock in Australia? They said, oh, is it time for a wine? And And if you don't drink, then people are kind of, that you're you're the odd one out. So if you're a drinker and you decide to give up drinking, that's big. What happens to your friendship circle? Yes, yes, this is terrifying. And this is one of many things that stop people considering seriously putting alcohol down. And that I felt like that definitely, because as I said, all my friends drank and I would I could not imagine because in the in the recovery center, we were told that actually you should not be hanging out with your drinking buddies because they're going to be your trigger. And of course they would be. Yes. 
And then you think, so first of all, I can't really be around them. But secondly, even if I was to be around them and not drink, then what do I talk to them about? And I had this one friend, he came to visit me shortly after I gave up alcohol. And I said to him, you know, I am in recovery now. I don't drink. I'm in rehab. So if you want to hang out with me, by all means, pop in. But if you bring any beer with you, I will not be able to let you in. I will not be able to let you inside my flat because my recovery is important to me. So he came to see me and I made him a cup of tea. And because he had a drinking problem himself, he was struggling like crazy. He was sweating. He felt so uncomfortable. We both felt so uncomfortable. And I think it was the last time we kind of met face to face together, just me and him. And we knew each other from primary school. And I thought we were really good friends. But because alcohol was always there, being together in the same room and without alcohol in that mix, that was extremely hard for both of us. So it, you know, it is difficult. But then what happens very often, it turns out that you don't really have much in common with those people you drank with. Yeah. Because the, the cement that kept you together was alcohol. And it is the truth for many, many people later on. Later, it turns out that you need to find new friends. You just need to find new friends because the people you drank with, you think they're your friends. But when you, put, when you remove alcohol from this equation, it turns out you don't really have that much in common. Yes. Yeah, that's true. So that's one of the things that we can expect if mm -hmm. we decide to go down a path of not drinking. Is yes, and it sounds really terrifying, but then would you rather live in fake relationships with other people or would you rather be on your own for a short while and then find your new tribe? You know, this is always what I say to my clients. Yes, beginning will be scary and it will be uncomfortable. But first of all, this is this amazing opportunity for yourself to finally learn to be with those uncomfortable emotions. Something maybe the skill that you might not really have because of alcohol and how it works, because you were running for so many years, that now is the perfect situation for you to learn to be with those un uncomfortable feelings. This is a huge investment. And I'm really grateful for the fact that I learned myself because, for example, later when you start your own business, you obviously know how uncomfortable it feels to, for example, remove yourself from an employment if it wasn't for my recovery I would never be able to go through this initial fear of starting my own business but because I was trained already I went through my boot camp of being you know with all the emotional drama I was able to do this for myself and I say to my clients when you get through this initial discomfort you will be so much more prepared to live for real to live the authentic life surrounded by authentic people and having authentic relationships yeah. And we have any change is uncomfortable. I mean, that that's part of the nature of change. And I think that's what's hard because we live in a world where we like to put a bandaid on things where, you know, we want it to be over quickly. Like we want COVID to be over quickly. Like, oh, it'll be soon over and we'll be back to normal. <laughs> vaccination. <laughs> yes. Where's the vaccination? Where's the vaccination? Let's just get on with it. And it's like that as well with, I presume with drinking that, we want to be it over, we want to band-aid it, we want to be quick, but it's it's not like that. We have to be with the discomfort and yes. sit with it for a bit. And that's the hard Yes, thing. of course. And what happens is when you drink for a number of years is that you are more prone to expect this instant gratification because this is how alcohol conditions you. It gives you instant gratification. And then it is, first of all, we as human beings want this instant gratification, but on top of that, you've got this conditioning 
caused by alcohol simply. We want things to be done now, immediately. Mm -hmm. And it is very hard to sit with any discomfort, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it's also a drug. So the discomfort, it's like a triple whammy almost. You know, it is hard, but what are the options? You can carry on down that route and you can really see yourself falling apart slowly but surely. And if people, if, if you keep drinking ultimately, wherever you are in your life or whatever you have, you are ultimately the same kind of person who lost everything due to alcohol, including their job, their home, their career, their family. It's just that you might be on a different place on the spectrum, but we are all on the same spectrum. And ultimately, you will either get really mentally unwell or physically unwell, or people will abandon you. Yeah. And there are people who obviously function for a very long time yeah, drinking, yeah. Yeah. but this is because, you know, because of some circumstances they have. I see with people who come from privileged uh, layers of the society, it will take them much longer to get to a place where actually they feel desperate enough that they finally reach for help. Of course, because they've got income, they have some social standing, and um, there has to be some event almost. I, I remember there was a when I lived in Sydney, there was a woman there and she was, she was married to someone quite well known and she obviously had a drinking problem. And it wasn't until she drove to pick up her child drunk and she smashed through a whole load of cars that actually, yeah. And it was, and it was, it went in all the newspapers obviously because of who she was, but she'd been clearly drinking for a very long time. And then she got to that point. She was one of these, you know, Chardonnay mums as they call them. And that was the trigger for her to have to go into rehab and really, you know, do something because it was, it was such a big thing. I mean, it's a big thing to, you know, drive into a whole load of parked cars, you know, in a, in a very nice privileged suburb where things like that, you know, happen in the background that don't happen quite so, so publicly. And I've seen that happen a few times, you know, and, and you know, yeah. you're kind of protected from it for a, a bit longer. Whereas if you have more, I presume more financial issues to start with and they come a bit sharper because alcohol costs, even though it's sort of nominally cheap. Mm -hmm. Yes. And also, you know, in AA they have this notion of rock bottom and there is this idea that you need to reach your rock bottom to be ready to heal from this thing, which is something I personally find this notion a little bit dangerous because I knew people who, literally had drunk themselves to death, waiting for the rock bottom. So I am all for reaching out for help before those bad things happen. And in order for this to happen, in order for people to start looking for help and reflecting on their drinking, is that we need to remove the stigma of having alcohol addiction. Yes. How are you meant not to get addicted when in every single program you see people drinking, when it's almost required from you to drink, when it's one of the very few things you need to explain yourself when you don't drink, actually. And mm -hmm. I don't think even vegans have to explain themselves as much <laughs> as people who stop drinking, you no, know. That's true. that's true. And I think you have also that connected to your job as well when there's all this yeah. after work drinks and if you're the one you know the one that doesn't go or doesn't drink people look at you and you're seen as not part of that team or part of that organization 
Mm -hmm. Yes, I had a client who felt very fearful around telling her family that she didn't drink anymore because her whole family loved drinking wine and it was very hard for her to come out and actually set this boundary and say, I will not be drinking because she was scared that her family, her own family would exclude her from making a healthy choice for herself. This is how strong the pressure can be. But the problem is that, you know, sometimes uh, women I work with hear from others that, you know, it's not so bad with you. Come on. It's not so bad. You're not, you're, you're not, it's not so bad. I've seen worse. Maybe you're exaggerating a little bit. The truth is that we are the only ones who really know what alcohol does to us. We are, we are the only know, ones who know how much anxiety it can bring. Yes. Many clients come to me after the first panic attack. That is alcohol induced in hangover. They come to me because they just absolutely freak out, for example, because they were planning to do different things over the weekend. They spent their weekends nursing their hangover. As a result, the children spent their Sunday on the sofa watching TV. And this is when the guilt kicks in so hard that you get a panic attack because it just feels like something really bad is about to happen. This is what it felt felt like to me by the end of my drinking. I just felt like something really bad is about to happen to me and my family and my daughter and 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 that is i think for any woman a huge thing a huge thing yes most of women are who come to me for help are women who either want to give up for their children initially that obviously that changes later because after a while they want to do it for themselves because they see the benefits but this first this first thing is the children they want to stop for their children or women who are a little bit later in life who feel like their physical health is starting to go. So it's either moms in their 30s where children are still young and they feel like they're starting to fail as moms. This is how they feel. It's not how I would, you know, I I would never describe it like this, but this is how they describe it. And women who are in their late 40s, early 50s, when the physical health is starting to go down simply. And that's many of the listeners here. When we have menopause and big hormonal changes, we are not able to process alcohol in the same way. I mean, women don't process alcohol as well as men, if I'm correct. But in addition to that, we have the added change in hormones and that just doesn't sit well with alcohol. And, and, And obviously because we've got changes related to estrogen that are related to the liver and the liver is the mm-hmm. detox. If your liver isn't working well and you're holding on to lots of estrogen, it's not getting processed out of the body. Then we'll have all the menopause symptoms doubled and alcohol is a big um, player in creating that situation. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Menopause and alcohol is not a good mix at all on, on so many levels, physically, mentally. And anxiety and menopause as as many of us know as i know is is a big big issue it's probably our number one issue is our mental well-being and feeling the moods but the anxiety and the panic attacks that come with it and of course as you've just mentioned alcohol can bring that on and it's a depressant if we already feel our moods are up and down and we're depressing them further then then that also contributes tremendously to our mental health yeah i think the most dramatic influence is when you drink having anxiety it's like somebody compared it to pouring pouring petrol on fire when you've got anxiety and you drink on it that's just going to it's not going to end well definitely no no 
So when we, we women come to you, you take them through a, obviously a program. Um, what can women expect as they go through that program? Yes, so I work on three levels. So first of all, we need to obviously remove alcohol from the diet, so to say, which is which means many things. It means so many things for so many people. So first of all, there needs to be a different structure to the day because like we said, when you remove alcohol, there is going to be a huge void created. And because you have not maybe actively look for things to enjoy in your life because alcohol was always there and and you know serving that function then we need to find those things but first of all obviously alcohol has to go and i provide accountability and early on in my program when i work with clients we are in touch daily and i had a client uh, who always when she finished work 4 p.m she was getting in her car and she was calling me on her way from work and then through that drive, she spoke to me because that was something that could stop her from going into a shop. So first of all, there's, it's quite intense, this first stage, because alcohol needs to go and because there's so much fear. Sometimes you just need somebody to tell you that, you know, you will be okay. Give it an hour and you will be engaged in other things. So alcohol is going from, uh, you know, from the diet to start with. But secondly, what happens is we need to create completely different routine. So we need to find not to say replacements, but things that will fill that void. And that is, that is connected with removing alcohol. What yeah. I also do with my clients is we try and find out why alcohol showed up, in, showed up in their life to start with. That is very important to understand this. And I know in my rehab, they did not practice that. They said we can do therapy later on if we want to. But I find with my clients from my own experience, it really helps them to know why they started because yeah. then they, it removes a little bit of guilt and shame when they see, it's not about blaming other people or situations, but it's just finding out how that all unfolded for them. Yeah. When they know that it's easier for them to cope yeah. somehow. So we go into that and the, the last and the most important part and the most exciting part is just to create this new identity without alcohol. It's building this new woman, the woman she was meant to be from the start, but alcohol got in the way. And we find the things she loves. We find the things that light her up. We find, the, we find, we literally design her new life. And I've got some amazing exercises for that, that I love doing with my clients, but it's like, it is a really exciting process to go through. <laughs> I so it's like have, moving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's moving from the fear and this whole dark pitch place where you are stuck in and you just don't know what's around the corner to getting into that light and that hope and knowing your direction knowing who you want to become as a result and seeing recovery as something really exciting because this is amazing opportunity to literally create a new person the one you can design from scratch so you know there's nothing better than that Oh, that is, that is just beautiful. And I hear that, you know, and I love that there's the, there's the change in habit. There's the why, why do I do this so that we can offload that shame? And then there's whole bright new future. I mean, that is, that is so, that's so uplifting when I hear that. It's, oh, I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah. It's, I just love what I do. I really, really do. And even though it is, it is hard because somebody who is in so much emotional pain in this first stage, when women come to me, what I see is in many cases is like this 
a super achiever that's just undercover, you know, where many women have so much potential when they, when they come to see me, I can see this in them. They don't see themselves, but they really are high achievers in disguise. We just need to remove all those layers of, you know, everything that alcohol brought into their lives. Yeah. yeah all the thing that it, you know, tried to show you, you, you know, you could be this social person, but that wasn't really you. There was mm-hmm. some, underneath, there was a more authentic you. Yes. And then they start their own businesses. They get into yoga and mindfulness. They become those little gym freaks. You know, all sorts of things happen. It's just beautiful to see. And I get messages after a while from them. Somebody saying to me, for example, oh, you know, I opened my own yoga studio, which I got just before the lockdown. That was just amazing. That is amazing. I've had such a wonderful time talking to you. I'm sure we could talk <laughs> women. Obviously, we could, yes. <laughs> I think we could. But, I mean, firstly, thank you. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you and, and learn more about the work that you do? Yeah, so my business is called Fresh and Fab. And it's easy to find me. My website is freshandfab.co.uk because I'm based in the UK. And I'm easy to find on Facebook where I have my own group, which is called Rebirth. So when you search me on Facebook or through my website, you will be, you know, you will be able to find me easily there. In my group, I do quite a lot of, uh, let's say, generic content, which can be still very helpful. Many people need one-to-one uh, you know, one-to-one work, but some people find just being in this group very beneficial. Once a month, I do a masterclass around certain area. A while ago, I did a really cool masterclass that was called Sobriety for the Soul, which was talking about the sobriety from the spiritual, as from the spiritual perspective, which is for me, you know, I'm a spiritual person. So it was really exciting to talk about that. This month, we will be talking about dealing with difficult emotions. And my clients come from my Facebook group. This is where they get to know me and get to trust me. And then, you, you know, you need to be able to trust yeah. someone before you reach out for help. It's a, it's a big thing to, to do this. And yes. I really thank you because we've had a very honest conversation here. And I hope that to you, the listeners, you know, We've, some of us have been there. Many of us know people who are there. And we don't have to be in this space. And we don't have to go down a path where we become unwell. We can reach out to Agatha. We can go to her Facebook group and learn more. And then, you know, maybe it's a route for one-to-one and maybe it's enough to take the tips. But I think this ad is start the journey. Yes, definitely. And when you overcome this initial fear, I can promise everyone that there are so many good things around that scary corner. So many good things waiting for you. For me, I got married. I started my own business. I changed my career. I moved from Poland to England with two suitcases and my daughter. Life is really good. You just need to, you know, get through the fear. It's all going to be okay. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Well, I hope that you really enjoyed that podcast interview and that you were able to walk away with some great tips and ideas that you can implement in your daily life. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, don't forget to like, subscribe and share to wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on this podcast, reach out to me, clarissa at clarissachristiansen.com and let me know. I will try my best to get them on the show. 
Until next time, when I will have another fabulous guest sharing their stories and their wisdom, go well. Bread Isle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified. If you're a business owner, you know these sounds mean sales. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. Whether you're fulfilling orders from your home office or warehouse, Stamps.com helps you stress less about mailing and shipping and spend more time doing what you love most. Listening to ASMR. I mean, growing your business. But as you grow, so does the need for efficiency. Stamps.com simplifies your shipping and mailing process. Import orders from wherever you sell online. Find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times. Instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers. And buy shipping and mailing supplies when you run low. Save time and money on mailing and shipping. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale.